Now we'll turn to our scripture reading for this morning, which is from 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19. Before we read that together, and you can find that on page 605 in the Pew Bible ahead of you if you'd like to follow along there. Before we read that, let's pray together. Great God, you have spoken to us by the prophets and the apostles through your word. We pray that as you have spoken for the purpose of building up your church, you would indeed accomplish that by your spirit today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Kings 19. When King Hezekiah heard this, that is the message from the king of Assyria, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master... This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard, these words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I am going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left the quiche, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now Sennacherib received a report that Tirhaka, the Cushite king of Egypt, was marching out to fight against him. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, or of Hena, or Eva? Hezekiah received a letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, Enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and mocks you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it that you have blasphemed and insulted? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have heaped insults upon the Lord. 
And you have said, with my many chariots I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choicest of its pines. I have reached its remotest parts, the finest of its forests. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people, drained of power, are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you stay, and when you come and go, and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me, and your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. This will be the sign for you, O Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year what springs from that. But in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons Adremelech and Sheretzer cut him down with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. Chapter 19 here in 2 Kings is actually chapter 2 of Hezekiah's life as it is recorded for us in the book of Kings. So far we've had an introduction to Hezekiah and we have read that Hezekiah was a great king, that he was a great king, he was a, a great king better than all the kings who had come before him since David and all those who would come after him until the exile. But we really haven't seen the greatness of Hezekiah yet because when we, when we come to Hezekiah in the first chapter about him, chapter 18, we see that his, his faith fails. The king of Assyria comes up and lays siege to Jerusalem and instead of turning to the Lord for help, instead he decides that he's going to rely upon himself. He plunders and loots the temple of the Lord. He gets all the silver and the gold out of God's house. He even strips the gold off the doors of the temple, the temple he had just reopened. And he sends all the silver and the gold he can muster off to the king of Assyria to make him go away. His faith failed. It was a significant lapse and, as we'll see, a major failure. We ended last time as well on a bit of a cliffhanger. We were looking at the life of Thomas Cranmer, one of the great reformers in England during the time of the Reformation. He acted very similarly to Hezekiah. Uh, Thomas Cranmer was a great reformer in England, and he was the Archbishop of Canterbury during the reigns of King Henry VIII and King Edward. But when things were all going well, then things did not go so well for him any longer, and Queen Mary became Queen Bloody Mary. 
She put to death as many Protestants as she could find, especially their leaders. She arrested, she arrested Cranmer, and she gave him a deal. Two options. You can keep the Protestant gospel, the faith which you have preached, and you will die, or you can recant it, and you will live. Sign the paper and live, don't, and die. Well, Cranmer signed the letter. The letter said, just in part of the letter was this, I, Thomas Cranmer, late Archbishop of Canterbury, do renounce, abhor, and detest all manner of heresies and errors of Luther and Zwingli, and all other teachings which are contrary to sound and true doctrine. And I believe most constantly in my heart and with my mouth I confess one holy and Catholic church visible without which there is no salvation. By that he meant the Roman church. But fortunately, that might seem strange to say, but fortunately for Hezekiah and for Thomas Cranmer, their ways of dealing with their problems didn't work. And for Hezekiah, the king of Assyria takes his money and comes right back and says, I'm going to conquer you anyways. And for Thomas Cranmer, the Queen of England said, thank you for your recantation. She publishes it abroad. And then she says, have him arrested, put back in his rags, and sent back to the Tower of England. We'll deal with him later. Sometimes faith fails, doesn't it? And sometimes the Lord is gracious to us and gives us a second chance. I came across a quote by John Calvin. He's commenting on the 22nd Psalm on the first verse, and he said this, Faith does not gain the victory at the first encounter, but after receiving many blows, and after being exercised with many tossings, she at length comes forth victorious. And we see that to be the case both with Hezekiah and with Thomas Cranmer. And we see, we see how Hezekiah responds to the new Assyrian threat in the first four verses. He sends these palace officials and the chief priests, he sends them off to Isaiah the prophet. Now, now, as an aside, I think this is very helpful for us to see. We saw a few chapters back that Jonah the prophet was active in the northern kingdom, and we were able to put pieces together. And now we see in, in this chapter that, that King Hezekiah sends his people off to Isaiah the prophet, the same Isaiah who wrote the book of Isaiah. And one of the neat things about the Bible is that the more you understand one part of it, the better you can understand all the rest of it as well. And so here we are in Kings, and when we read Kings, we begin to build a framework for understanding other parts of the Bible. Specifically, we build a framework for understanding the prophets. Now, if you're like me, the prophets can be hard reading. I, I, I think books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the rest, those are places where Bible reading plans go to die if they didn't die in Leviticus and Deuteronomy already. Amen? And so it is that if we understand books like Kings... We have a better chance of reading the prophets with benefit because what does Isaiah do? But Isaiah ministers during the time of Ahaz and during the time of Hezekiah. And oftentimes he gives prophecies specifically to Ahaz and specifically to Hezekiah. If you, if you read chapter 37 of Isaiah, it comes right out of the book of Kings that we're reading right here. And if we can understand kings better, then we can understand the prophets better. If we understand the prophets better, then we understand Jesus better. And that is a noble undertaking, isn't it? They say that there's a road to Jesus from every verse in the Bible. Some of those roads are just longer than others. So the men, these men go off to Isaiah the prophet, and they ask Isaiah the prophet that he will 
pray, he will pray for King Hezekiah and for the people of Judah. And they, they, they lay before him two problems. The first problem, they say, is that Jerusalem is surrounded and there is no worldly way of being saved from the, from the enemy. And the second thing that they lay before him is that God, Isaiah's God, has been blasphemed. He's been insulted by this Assyrian king. The Assyrian king has said, your God is worthless to save you. And so they go on behalf of Hezekiah. They go to Isaiah the prophet to ask him to bring a plea before the Lord, saying maybe, just maybe, your God will hear our plea, hear all that has happened, and come to the rescue. And then the succeeding verses, Isaiah gives the Lord's answer back to these messengers, but in Isaiah's answer, there is no maybe. And we see this in verses 5 to 7. Isaiah the prophet says, do not be afraid. In other words, have faith. The Lord has heard your prayer, and the Lord will do what you have asked him to do. The king of Assyria is going to go back the way he came with his tail between his legs. Do not worry about the king, but have faith. Do not be afraid, but trust me. And there's an important lesson for us here, isn't there? And the important lesson is this. All of, all of Hezekiah's gold and silver, all of his riches and his wealth, couldn't make the king of Assyria go away. But the Lord can make him go away. The Lord promises to do for Hezekiah what Hezekiah could not do for himself. Hezekiah needed to learn a lesson in relying not on himself, but relying on the Lord. And the Lord is going to take this opportunity to teach Hezekiah this lesson. It would have been better for Hezekiah if he had turned to the Lord right away, but as they say, better late than never. And that's what we see here with this. But then as we move into verses 8 to 13, we see the king of Assyria is still, is still at his work. Things have not changed very much. Now perhaps there is a little bit of a change, a little bit of the pressure is taken off, and the Assyrians move around here and there, but there's still a lot of pressure. And the blasphemy is still dripping and flowing from the tongue and the mouth of the king of Assyria. And he offers these two blasphemies when he writes his letter to Hezekiah. He wants Hezekiah to surrender. Surrendering cities are much easier to deal with than fighting cities. And so he he sends a letter, and he has two blasphemies in the letter. The first is this, from verse 10. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. He blasphemes God by saying that God is a liar. And then he goes on, the second blasphemy is that he says all these other gods and all these other cities and all these other kings, have their gods helped them? Why will you be any different? Just give it up, Hezekiah. And what does he do? But the, but the king of Assyria essentially says, your king, or your God, is a lying sissy of a God. For the moment, Hezekiah will have to wait for God to keep his promise. Hezekiah's first prayer through Isaiah receives an answer that he will be relieved, but that answer has not come yet. He has to wait. And I don't think the experience of having to wait for God to answer our prayers is unique to Hezekiah. In fact, the Psalms speak of this. Back in the Psalm we started with in our call to worship, Psalm 13, David said it this way, How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? 
How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Can't you imagine those words coming from Hezekiah? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He surrounds my city. He taunts me. He blasphemes my God. My people are hungry and my people are afraid. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? He has to wait. But he has reason for faith. Hadn't the Lord stopped the mouth of many blasphemers before Sennacherib? You go back to Hezekiah's father, father in, in the kingly sense, to King David. And there was the great blaspheming giant Goliath. And he came out day by day by day, blaspheming God and taunting God's people. And day after day after day, the Israelite army ran away because they were afraid. Until finally, young David comes out and the Lord takes David's little stone, plants it firmly in the forehead of the blaspheming giant and closes his mouth forever. If the Lord could do that to the giant Goliath, Hezekiah has good reason to think he could do it to the king, Sennacherib, as well. But he must wait. He must wait. Those first 13 verses have a pattern. It's a pattern that was brought out to me and made clear to me by uh, commentator Ralph Davis. And the, the, the pattern goes like this. First, you have Hezekiah's plea. Then you have God's assurance. And then you have Sennacherib's blasphemy. That's the first part of the, of the chapter. Then the second chart of the, part of the chapter follows a very similar pattern. You have Hezekiah's prayer, you have God's assurance, and you have Sennacherib's destruction. And so you move, into, you move into Hezekiah's prayer then as we move into verses 14 to 19. And I want to, I want to read this again as we turn to it. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Notice all the Lords. All, the whole story revolves around the Lord here. O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, You alone, God, You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Hezekiah goes into the temple himself. He doesn't go, in, he doesn't go into the temple through Isaiah. I played a I played baseball years and years ago, and I was working at Camp Manitoba where we played summer league baseball. And a number of the guys that we played ball with were Catholics. And, and so they, they knew that us Protestants, we prayed for ourselves. And so they were often asking us to pray. And one of my friends, his, his name was Derek, we were getting asked in the dugout of all places during a baseball game. One of the guys was asking us to pray. And Derek turns to him and says, you know I'm not your priest. You can pray for yourself. And Hezekiah goes into the temple now to pray for himself. And he lays out this letter. It's as if he's saying to God, look, read it for yourself, Lord. Read what this, read what this Assyrian has said about you. Read his blasphemies with your, with your own eyes. See and deliver us. And then he begins this prayer. And it's a, it's a beautiful beginning to the prayer. He puts God in his place. And I mean that in a good way. Sometimes you want to put somebody in their place. But that's not how Hezekiah does. He, he puts God in his place. He, he makes sure that God knows that he thinks that he is glorious. That he is the great God. The maker of the heavens and the earth. 
the sovereign God, the God who is everywhere, the God who is great. He's the only seeing, the only hearing, the only living God. And then he says, everything the Assyrian king has said is true. All these other nations were defeated. Their kings were killed. Their idols were thrown into the fire. But then he makes one statement of faith that makes all the difference in the world. He says, God, the difference between all those other kings and all those other nations and all those other idols is that they were idols. They had no power to save because they are not gods. But you, Lord, you are different. I'm a different king, and this city is a different city because this is your city. I'm your king, and you are the living God. And so he comes to God, and he asks God that he would save himself that he would save him for his own glory. He, he verbalizes his incentive for God to save. He says, save Jerusalem so that all the nations may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. You see, you see what Hezekiah bases his prayer upon? He doesn't say, save Jerusalem that I might be king still. He doesn't say, save Jerusalem because I am, I am a good king. He doesn't have that appeal. That ship has long sailed, right? He's the one who had taken all the gold and silver out of God's temple and sent it off to pay off the bad guy. No, what does he say? He says, save Jerusalem so that all the nations of the earth might know that you are the only God. That's the kind of prayer the Lord is prone to answer. So that's the prayer. Then in verses 20 to 34, the Lord gives assurance. And the assurance comes in two forms. The, the first part of the assurance is that the Lord has this, this song of taunt against Sennacherib. And then at the end, he has a word of encouragement for Hezekiah. One commentator, J. Oswald, puts it this way. Sennacherib has spoken to Hezekiah concerning the Lord. Hezekiah has spoken to the Lord concerning Sennacherib. And now the Lord is going to speak to Hezekiah concerning Sennacherib. And when the Lord speaks, it is always this last account that matters most, isn't it? And so here he goes. The Lord is going to speak. And he begins to speak, and he speaks to Hezekiah about Sennacherib, and he mocks Sennacherib. He says, the virgin daughter of, of Israel laughs at you. As the Assyrian king is going to leave, he's not just going to leave. The people aren't just going to be be brushing the sweat off their brow. They're going to be laughing at the Assyrian as he goes. So humiliated will this king and his army be. And then he mocks his pride. The Assyrian has all these boasts of all the things he's done, all the mountains he's climbed and the people he's conquered. But the Lord says this, have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. In other words, Sennacherib, of all your victories, they're, they're not because you're so great. They're because I chose to use you as an instrument of my judgment against all these other people. I am great. You have just been my, my instrument. And then he mocks his blasphemies. He says, who is it you have insulted and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride against the Holy One of Israel? He says, you've made a huge mistake. And why does he say that? Because I know where you stay and when you come and go. That's a terrifying thought. He knows the Lord is greater than he is. If he goes back to Nineveh, the Lord is there. If he goes up to Syria, the Lord is there. If he stays here in Jerusalem, the Lord is there. Wherever he goes, Sennacherib is one decision of God from being destroyed. You have messed, finally, Sennacherib, you have messed with the wrong God. And he promises this humiliating defeat. He says, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. The, the Assyrians delighted 
in humiliating their conquered peoples. And sometimes they would take bits and literally put bits in their... That's a first. They put bits in their captors in, the, in their captives' mouths and they would haul them off to exile like animals to humiliate them. Sometimes they would put hooks through their noses or through their jaws and they would put ropes through those hooks and they would pull them off to exile in big long chains. And the Lord says, what you have done to others, I will do to you. I will humiliate you as you have humiliated so many other people before you. But then he has a word of comfort for Hezekiah. He says, Hezekiah, you will know that I have done this. And when at the end of this year you eat what has grown on its own out in the Judean countryside. And you will know next year that I have done this when you eat even more of what has grown. And you will know the next year that I have done this when you are able to sow and to reap and life returns to normal. When you have fields and when you have vineyards, when all the enemy troops are gone and when everything that was destroyed grows back up and when there is peace and when the shadow of death no longer looms over this city, then you will remember that I am the one who has saved you. But why? Why will the Lord save? The Lord gives two reasons for why He will save. In verse 34, He says, I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David." my servant. And he says that he will save, if you look at the, va- the last part of verse 31, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God will save his people and he will save his people zealously. And why will he do it? For his own sake. God will not allow the nations of the earth to think that somehow the Assyrian king and the Assyrian gods are greater than he is. He will not allow these blasphemies to go unpunished. And the second reason is for the sake of David, his servant. God had made a promise to David. The whole book of Kings, remember, is is based on this promise. God had made a promise to David that he would have a son who would be king over an eternal kingdom, an eternal king over an eternal kingdom. If Hezekiah dies and all his sons die, then then the promise is over. God will not allow his promise to his servant David to be broken. And so the Lord promises that he will save for his own glory, and for the good of his people. And then we read of that salvation in verses 35 to 37. Let's read those again as well. That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Sheretzer cut him down with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his sons, succeeded him as king. A few notes about this, just historically speaking. The first is that these things are historically attested. The first of which is that the king of Assyria records that he captured all these cities in, in Judah, but he never captured Jerusalem. He says, I only exacted tribute from Jerusalem. And then the king was forced to go back, and he was killed by his own sons. And if you read, if you read Egyptian rec- records, the Egyptians record that the people in the area at that time were given divine deliverance. All in historical records, accessible for anybody to be able to read. But God does save. And he does vindicate his people. The blasphemies of the Assyrian have been shown to be false, and God does what Hezekiah's money and scheming could never have done. 
God kept his word and God saved his people. Even after Hezekiah's faith had failed. Go back to Thomas Cranmer. He gets thrown in prison and Bloody Mary, she hated him. And so she wanted to have him killed. And so before he was killed, for some reason, they decided to have a church service. And so they brought him before the Catholic archbishop. And the archbishop was charged with giving a sermon. And all through the time, Cranmer was, was weeping. He was racked with guilt and with shame. And at the end of it, he asked if he might have a chance to speak. And they thought that he was going to speak, trying to beg for his life and, and continue to say that he recants everything he used to believe and everything he used to teach. And so they give him the opportunity to speak, and immediately he begins to preach the gospel again. And he says this. This is just part of what he says. He says, now I come to the great thing which troubles so much my conscience more than anything that I ever did or said in my whole life. And that is the setting abroad of a writing contrary to the truth. That is the letter they made him sign, which now here I renounce and refuse, as things written with my hand contrary to the truth which I thought in my heart, and written for fear of death and to save my life. They realized very quickly that he began preaching the gospel again, and so they shut him up, they hit him, they knocked him down, and they drug him out to be burned at the stake. And as he's being burned at the stake, you could hear him through the flames shouting this unworthy right hand. Because it was with his right hand that he had signed a document denying the gospel of the Lord Jesus. But he was a saved man. He was burned, but he was saved. And we will see him one day in glory. And that murder turned out to be a disaster. John Fox says it like this, the Catholics were completely foiled, their object being frustrated. Cranmer, like Samson, having completed a greater ruin upon his enemies in the hour of death than he did in his life, the story of his renewed faith spread like wildfire. And the people all throughout the land were encouraged, and it wasn't too much longer, and Mary was no longer on the throne. I think we take two very simple lessons from this passage in 2 Kings 19. The first is that blasphemy against the living God is always disastrous. And the second is that faith placed in the living God is always well placed. You think of all the, blasph all the blasphemers throughout the history of the scriptures before Hezekiah's time and after. Go back to the Tower of Babel. The people thought we will build, we will build a tower all the way to the heavens that we might be ourselves gods. And God God strikes them so they all speak different languages and scatters them throughout the earth. And then you have Pharaoh. This story has so many similarities to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who blasphemed God with all of his God, made himself to be greater than God. And what does God do? But he sends the angel of the Lord through Egypt and slays many people that his people would be able to go free. And then you have the, the giant Goliath who ends up with a stone in his forehead. Sennacherib who ends up killed by his own sons. Nebuchadnezzar has to go out and eat straw and, and grass like an ox for a time. Judas ends up at the end of his own rope. And Herod ends up with his guts spilling out, eaten by worms because of his blasphemy. Blasphemy, blasphemy never ends well. There was a there's a historical account closer to our own time at the launch of the Titanic. I'm sure you're familiar with the Titanic. At the launch of the Titanic in its first and only voyage, an employee from the White Star Line, the line that ran the Titanic, had this to say about it. Not even God himself could sink this ship. Perhaps he spoke out of turn. At the end of time, 
though even the great blasphemer Satan will be destroyed. And he will find himself silenced, silenced forever together with all those who have joined him. Never ends well for those who blaspheme the Lord. But it does end well for those who have faith. Hezekiah messed up really bad the first time. But he got it right in the end. And Thomas Cranmer messed up very badly his first time. But he got it right in the end. Isn't that often the way it is for us? If we read through those words again from John Calvin, he says again, faith does not gain the victory at the first encounter. That was true for both of them. But after receiving many blows and after being exercised with many tossings, she at last comes forth victorious. And so it was for each of them. And so it should be for us. We are not so different from Hezekiah, are we? We too find ourselves surrounded by an enemy, not an enemy in the king of Assyria. We find ourselves surrounded by our own sin. When the weight of recognition of our sin comes crashing down upon our conscience, we, we see ourselves in the dire situation in which we are, and we are surrounded, and sin mocks us. Nobody has ever been, nobody has ever saved themselves from me before. The devil joins his voice, taunting the believer. The believer looks out and says, I cannot save myself. The shadow of death looms in its curse with sin over the head of the one who recognizes their sin. And there is nowhere to turn, except as it was with Hezekiah to the Lord. There's only the Lord who has the power to save. Only the Lord could have saved Hezekiah, and only the Lord can save us. But he saves us zealously. We read in that verse 31 again, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, the zeal of the Lord Almighty has accomplished our salvation. Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, prophesies in the time of Hezekiah's father Ahaz, and he says this about how the Lord will save his people. Very familiar passage from Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord saves his people with zeal. And he saves them for the same reasons he saved in Hezekiah's day. He saves for the sake of his own name that we might sing his praises, might sing his grace, not just for the rest of our days, but for the rest of eternity. He saves for the glory of his name, but he also saves for the sake of his servant, not the great King David, but the great King Christ, that he might always have a people, that he might always have a body, that he might always have a bride. And he saves through that King, Jesus Christ. And the good news is, he comes not for people with a perfect faith. He comes for people like Hezekiah. And he comes for people like Thomas Cranmer. He comes to save people with a faltering, failing, stumbling faith. But who in the end turned to him always looking for salvation? Because there was always, at the end, for the one who trusts in Christ, there is always grace. 
there's always grace for the godly. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in your word, unlike in the myths and the false teachings of so many others, in your word we see fallen and failing men. We see men like Abraham who lapsed in their faith, and Moses who struck the rock, and David who committed adultery with Bathsheba, and Hezekiah who tried to pay off the Assyrian. We, we see so many failing people. We see Peter who denies the Lord Jesus three times that he might save his own life. We thank you that we have, we have other stumbling saints that we can look to and say, if they could be saved, we can be saved. So God, give us grace. We come like Hezekiah, like countless others before. We come having stumbled and fallen, and yet still having faith and asking for your forgiveness and for your grace. Deliver us in your church as you deliver Jerusalem. Send our enemies away, even forever. We long for the day when as the king of Assyria was sent away forever, that you will send the devil into the fire together with death and all that which afflicts us. God, give us faith to look to that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.